Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, This week we're going to pick up where we left off in our study of the life of Jesus and the person of Jesus. And we're going to focus on uh, his being our high priest and how that applies to our lives today. So I hope this blesses you and encourages you. Let's get into the Word of God. If you've grown up in the church or have been in church at all for any length of time, you hear about Jesus being our high priest. And if you're like me, it's, we, we know the logistics of it. Okay? We know that as the high priest, Jesus was the one who is able to go in before the throne of God in heaven and give his blood as the sacrifice on the mercy seat of heaven and reconcile us back to God. But the the ministry of the high priest and what Jesus does for us and has done for us is exceptionally and incredibly deep and rich. And Hebrews is that book that tells us to be confident in Christ, be confident in our high priest, be confident in the sacrifice. And again, if you're like me, you've held fast to the verses that are like, you know, we can come boldly with uh, or confidently before the throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy to help in time of need. And how many times do we, we throw that out to the Lord and go, okay, I, I need you. I need you bad. I need you now. And I'm coming before the throne of grace. Well, as we go through these passages this morning, we're going to look at how he ministers and how the ministry looks through the eyes of the people of that time. As I was studying this, this last, basically about two weeks, because we, we didn't have Sunday school last week, and going through this, I was just like, wow, this is really incredible. So my hope is that it becomes incredible to you too, and you just get a more awesome picture of Jesus. So the first thing that we're going to look at is the ministry of Christ as our high priest. How he goes to God the Father on our behalf. Okay, so chapter 5, verse 1 of Hebrews, and we're just going to take this all the way down through verse 10. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when he is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, 
he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect or complete, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The first thing that we're told here is that God chooses the high priest. When God initiated the law, he also initiated the priesthood through Aaron. And so what happened was God specifically chose Aaron and his line. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, and the priesthood would be specifically the high priesthood through the line of Aaron. Jesus was appointed as the high priest by God the Father. But his priesthood is different in that it's according to the priesthood of Melchizedek. And remember when we were talking about uh, Christophanes and how a lot of people, myself included, believe that Melchizedek was a, uh, was a manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament of Christophany. And just to reiterate what we had talked about, Melchizedek, according to what Hebrews says, he has no genealogy, no beginning of days or end of days. Um, he had a uh, position that was not what you had under the law. Under the law, the high priest could only be the high priest and the king could only be the king. But Melchizedek was both king and priest. Melchizedek means king of uh, righteousness, and he was also the king of Salem, or Shalom, peace, so he was the king of peace. Jesus is the king of righteousness, Jesus is the king of peace, Jesus is the king of kings, Jesus is the great high priest, and so we have the two offices of ruler and redeemer in the same package in Jesus. Does that make sense? He has a very unique priesthood that's rooted in his authority as king and authority as the high priest. And I think what's really important about this is that Jesus is everything. He's the king. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the intercessor. He's everything we need to engage with the Father. He's everything and the only thing that will get us to heaven. It's all of him. And we'll see that more as we go through this. But another thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us here is the earthly priest, high priest, was able to be compassionate toward the people he was making sacrifices for because he was just like them, right? He was a sinner. He was weak. He failed. So when the high priest would go in to make atonement on, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when he would go into the, the temple to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and to sacrifice sins on behalf, or make sacrifices for the sins of the people, he first had to make a sacrifice for his own sin. So when he served the people and 
ministered on their behalf, he didn't go in or shouldn't go in with a holier-than-thou attitude. Like he was somehow superior. He was right there with the people, weak and a sinner just like them needing the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. Now Jesus, we're told, he did not sin, but he made himself weak, right? By taking on a body of flesh and blood, he knows what it's like to be tempted in all areas just like us. He knows what it's like to be hurt and maligned and blasphemed and ridiculed and beaten and murdered and have loss and suffer. He knows it all. So when he comes to the Father on our behalf as high priest, he's coming in that spirit of humility and gentleness and compassion for us because he's walked in our shoes. I think that this whole issue of God appointing the high priest is something that we need to be very mindful of because, number one, we've got a high priest who we can rely on and understands us and loves us. We don't have to be afraid, and we'll come around to this. When we come before the Lord for grace and mercy, we're not coming before a throne of condemnation. We're not coming before a throne of criticalness or that's abusive and harsh. It's a throne of grace because the gracious one has served as our high priest. Another thing about this is we don't choose the high priest. We don't choose who's going to represent us before God the Father. God chose Jesus and he authenticated Jesus' being chosen by him through the word of God, through the miracles that Jesus did, through his testimony about Jesus. When he says at the baptism of Christ, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And ultimately, the resurrection. The resurrection validates Jesus' authority as our high priest and his sufficiency as the sacrifice for our sins. He's everything. So if somebody tries to put somebody else or some other thing in there as our intermediary between us and God, like works or legalism or another Jesus, the, the Jesus of the, the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses, that is not the Jesus that God proclaims. The Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus that the word of God and God proclaims. It's only Jesus, as we have in scripture, the historical Christ, who is sufficient to be our high priest. Nothing else it can be that intermediary. And neither can we be our own high priests. And the reason why I say this is because a lot of people think that they have what it takes to go before the living God on their own merit, right? I think I'm good enough. I think I've lived my life in a good way and God's going to accept me. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, I believe it is, 
we have the story of King Uzziah, all right? And Uzziah was a king and a man who loved God, and he followed God. He became king at age uh, 16, and he was passionate about the Lord, and the Lord used him mightily. But as he got older and God was blessing him, Uzziah got cocky. And one day he decided that he was going to go into the temple, which he had no right. The king cannot be the priest. But he went in to do priestly duties and he offered a sacrifice of incense on the altar of incense where only the priest was supposed to go. And the priest came in and said, get out of here. You have no place. They had the authority in the temple, not the king. And Uzziah got angry at them. And in his anger, while he's holding the incense censer, doing what he should not do, defying the Lord, God strikes him with leprosy. And the priests come and they usher him out. It's like, get out of here. You are unclean. You cannot be here. And not only could Uzziah not go near the temple anymore for the rest of his life, but he could not engage with people directly for the rest of his life. The last days of his reign were done vicariously through his son because he could not have contact with people as a leper. We don't have what it takes. Uzziah was a righteous man, a godly man, a wonderful man, but he was also a sinner. And he was not authorized by God to be his own priest. And neither are we. We have to go through Jesus. There is no other way. And that's what we're going to look at next. Go over to Hebrews chapter 10, 19. Jesus paved the way. Therefore, and we're going to take this through verse 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, Uzziah could not go in. Nobody could go in. Not even priests could go into the holy place, the holy of holies. Only the high priest. But here it says, we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, get this, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. God promised redemption and salvation and adoption through his son, and God is faithful. What this is talking about is when the high priest would go into the temple on the Day of Atonement to put the blood on the mercy seat that was in the Holy of Holies that 
lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant, he would go in with the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it, he would splash it before the veil seven times. Seven is the number of completion. And once he had done that, then he was able to go in to the Holy of Holies beyond the veil and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people for that year. That's the picture that was being given here. But it says of Jesus that he went in and provided a new and living way. The old way was the old priesthood. And they sacrificed and put the blood of a dead animal there on the mercy seat. But Jesus provided a new way, a living way. The reason why it's living is because Jesus is alive. He died for our sins. He paid the penalty on the cross and he rose again from the grave. And he lives now and he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession on our behalf. So we're not putting our trust in the work of a dead animal or a dead priest. That was one of the issues with the old priesthood. The priest died, so he had to keep replacing them. You don't replace Jesus. He paid the price once for all. It's finished, he said. When Jesus cried out on the, on the cross, it is finished, that is a accounting term, which means paid in full. The debt is settled. It's over. And so... This living way, the word there means road. There is one way, one path to the mercy seat of God. And it is the blood of Christ. That's the road. And it says that he made entrance through the veil, which was his body. So you remember when Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn in two, right? Okay. So what was that veil like? What, what was that? that barrier that was that thing that separated not just the people from the throne of God but even the high priest could only go in one time a year what was that like the historian Josephus tells us that with the dimensions of the the holy of holies the veil was 20 feet by 20 feet 20 feet high 20 feet wide single a piece of cloth, four inches thick. You think that might be a little heavy? The Jews used to say, only the Almighty can move the veil. That was just a, a, a saying that they had. Only the Almighty. So the significance of that veil being torn in two from top to bottom was humongous because the Almighty actually did move the veil he tore it in two because of the sacrifice of the great high priest and so when jesus says i am the way no one comes to the father except through me that's this he is the road and that opening into the holy place before god that's made available is only through him 
That's why the way to destruction is wide, but the path to life is narrow. How narrow is that path to life? It's Jesus. How narrow is that path to life? It's the gap that he made in that veil that separates us from the Almighty God. It's Christ alone. And so when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're not going in based upon our own merit. We're walking the road of his sacrifice. And we're entering the gap that was made by his sacrifice to where we can go into confidently the very throne room of the living God. For a Jew, that's a picture that is unfathomable. Nobody did that except one high priest one day a year. Because of Jesus, anybody can do it through him anytime, any place. It's phenomenal. And he is also our forerunner. Go over to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Flip too far and you end up in 1 Timothy like I did. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. And this is one of those passages that I've read, you know, growing up in church and all that. Yeah, I, I know this. But in studying it, really chewing on it, this is really cool, okay? For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation." So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, so this is not going to waver at all. Okay, what he's promising will stand. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, one, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have who ha we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So there's that reoccurring theme, going behind the veil, going on our behalf, the priesthood of Melchizedek, it's eternal. So the promise of God, he does not lie. And he made an oath that, to Abraham that in him, all the nations will be blessed. In Abraham, the Messiah would come, the Savior of the world would come. So it says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. The hope is God's promise. I will provide 
a high priest. I will provide a sacrifice. I will provide the way of redemption and salvation. And Christ is the promise. He is also the anchor. And so it says that Jesus went behind the veil on our behalf as a forerunner. So this is the picture that's being given, all right? When a ship was unable to get into a harbor because of a storm or the waters were uh, really, really treacherous or it was low tide and there was no way for the ship to safely get into the harbor, what do you do? Well, they would send out the forerunner. And the forerunner was a small boat that carried the anchor because the forerunner could go where the ship could not. And it would go into the harbor and it would find a secure place to set the anchor. It's not like you see now where these big ships pull in and boom, they just drop it wherever and they're anchored. With this, they took it and, I mean, they could do that, but in bad weather, bad situations, the forerunner would go in, drop the anchor in a secure place, and it would hold the ship securely through the storm or through low tide until the time came where it could safely enter into the harbor. And that's what Jesus did for us. As our forerunner, he went where we cannot go on our own. In the storms of life, in treacherous times, in the storms of our sin, all of that, he was able to go into the Holy of Holies in heaven and drop anchor and hold us securely until the day comes when we are able to enter into the safe harbor of heaven. Isn't that a cool picture? He himself went there, anchored us, and he will not budge. He is faithful. He is steadfast. And all we have to do is hold to Jesus because he's held permanently at the throne of God. And he'll bring us home. To give you a picture of this, you remember in the book of Acts when Paul is, is uh, on the ship, he's being taken to Rome, and they're in the storm. And the ship is just getting beaten and battered. And God tells Paul, tell everybody, stay on the ship. You're going to be safe as long as you stay on the ship. And uh, as things got worse and worse and worse, there was a group of guys and they're like, hey, uh, we're, we're going to take the, the little boat and we're going to go out and check the anchors. Okay, because what they had done, because it was getting shallower and shallower and shallower, they just dropped anchor right where they were, but they were getting beat up pretty bad with the storm. So these guys came out with this, this uh, uh, excuse that they're going to go check the anchors and make sure they're okay. That's not what was going on. They knew that if they got into the forerunner, the little boat, they stood a pretty good chance of making it to the harbor, to the safe place. Now, God said otherwise. He said, don't do it. And Paul told them, don't. Do not leave this ship. Otherwise, you're going to die. And so they cut the forerunner. They cut the boat loose, and boom, off it went. 
and God brought everybody to shore safely. But that's a picture of what was going on. Jesus is our anchor. And he will not waver. He will not fail. He will not slip. And the place where he is anchored is before the throne of God, the mercy seat of God, where we are anchored until we can enter into that harbor. And one day, either by death or by the rapture, we're going home. And Jesus has us secure until that time. So some benefits. As I just said, we have security, all right? It, this is not us. This is all Jesus. And I think this is important because we all wrestle with our security in Christ. How do I know if I'm going to heaven? Uh, I did a, a, a podcast last week on it. Um, God had put it on my heart to do so. If you want to check it out, you can. Um, it's on vertical vision. But uh, I've just, I've, I've been talking with people who really are struggling with, how can I know that I'm really saved? It's not about our performance. It's not about being good enough. We never were good enough. We never will be good enough. We don't hold ourselves in heaven. Jesus holds us. And there's such security in that. Such confidence and such hope. Now, Satan would tell us otherwise. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one who points out all our faults, all our mistakes, all our garbage. And we don't even need his help because we condemn ourselves, don't we? We know our own sin. We know our own failures. We know the junk that we do. And we condemn ourselves or we compare ourselves to other people. I'm not as spiritual as they are. I don't go to church as faithfully as they do. I don't serve as much as they do. I don't tithe as much as I should, whatever. And we put our security in ourselves rather than in Christ. Don't do that. He's got you, okay? He's your anchor and he's not going to slip. Hold fast, we're told, to him. Going on to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, we have an intercessor. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. He doesn't die. He did die. He came back. And, that, and he lives forever. So we never have to worry about losing our priest the way that in the Old Testament they did. You know, it's just, it's not even an issue. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So there's that path, that road. There's the gap through the veil, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives today making intercession for you and me. 
That's incredible. He saves to the uttermost. That means completely. Again, he said, it is finished on the cross. Paid in full. There is nothing lacking. There will never be a time where God will say, oh, we came up short on your sin. Jesus' blood didn't cover that part. You needed to do, do your part. No. He saves completely to the uttermost for all who put their hope in him. Every situation, when we backslide, when we disobey, when we fall. So does that mean that it's okay to do those things? No. And Paul addresses that. He says, all right, so should we sin all the more so the grace may abound all the more? He says, may it never be. But we have a comfort and a security there that when we do sin, when we do fall, when we do walk away, we can always run home. We can always run back into the arms of grace. The prodigal son. It would be better if we don't sin, don't run away, don't play the prodigal, because there's consequences, right? But the love of God remains. The sacrifice holds fast. And Jesus intercedes. Again, I, I think back to the book of Zechariah, and I talked about this where we're looking at the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus and Christophanes. And you remember when there's that vision of Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord and how literally what it says is he was covered in excrement. He was filthy. And he was the representative of the nation of Israel filthy they had sinned they had rebelled they had disobeyed and then here comes Jesus and he intercedes on behalf of Joshua and he says clean him up give him a turban and a new robe and he totally cleans him up when Isaiah stood before the Lord he says woe is me I'm a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips I'm a sinner I'm a wretch. And the Lord tells the angel to go and touch his lips with a coal from the altar, the altar where the sacrifice of atonement would have been. And the, the, uh, a lot of scholars say it's a picture of the drippings of the sacrifice going onto the coals and with the coal touching his lips. And the Lord says, you're clean now. The Lord makes intercession for us. When you fall, when you sin, all we have to do is run home to daddy. Run to the throne of grace. Confess our sin. Scripture tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to forgive that sin. That's his promise. And it's rooted in what we're looking at here, the high priesthood of Christ. And so I'll close with this. We go now to Hebrews chapter 4, a familiar passage, verse 14, the confidence that we can have. Since then, 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. He, unlike the priests that would go into the earthly tabernacle or the earthly temple and the earthly Holy of Holies, Jesus, the Son of God himself, went as high priest into the heavenly Holy of Holies before the mercy seat of the living God, in actuality, not symbolically, okay? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That goes back to what we looked at originally. The high priest, he was just like everybody else. Jesus, fortunately, was not a sinner. He didn't have to atone for his own sin. But he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why in confidence? Why can we do this in confidence? Well, let's go back to where we began. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. We can do this confidently because God has appointed Jesus Christ, his son, to be our great high priest and our sacrifice, and our king, and our intercessor, and our redeemer, and our hope, and on, and on, and on. So we go before a throne of grace, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done, to find mercy. Now, mercy is a gift of grace. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. We do not deserve mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve death. We deserve hell. But because of grace... We have mercy because of Jesus. Once and for all, he paid the debt. Once and for all, he stands as intercessor for you and for me. Once and for all, he has dropped anchor in the harbor of heaven. And it will not be moved. That is why we can come with confidence to obtain the mercy when we fail. And to find grace to help in time of need. And I used to think I would find grace to help only when I was sinning and I needed forgiveness. That's not the limit of the grace. It is to obtain grace in time of need. Whatever the need may be, the grace is there. 
when Paul was suffering his thorn in the flesh and he's crying out to the Lord to remove it, the Lord tells him, my grace is sufficient. Does God want you to do something? Maybe serve in a ministry? Maybe forgive somebody? Take your pick. And you say, I can't do that. His grace is sufficient. Whatever your need may be, undeserved gifts from a loving father who sacrificed a loving son for people like us when we were enemies of God. That's, that's incredible. So I encourage you with this. What, what you and I have in Christ is the most incredible, beautiful rescue mission that ever happened. There is a security and a hope and a confidence there that will never change because the one who gave it is unchanging. And I don't know where you're at today. You might be wrestling with, hey, how do I even know if I'm still saved? Or maybe you're wrestling with, I'm not good enough. Or I can't go running back to the Father. Yes, you can. Because it's all of Jesus. We're just lost beggars, messes, and sinners who needed a lifeline. And Jesus set the anchor and threw the line out to us. All we have to do is take hold of him. He'll take care of the rest. He loves you to death, literally. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never break his promise. He loves you enough to die for you. And that is great security. 